Welcome to Poetry Lectures, featuring talks by poets, scholars, and educators, presented by PoetryFoundation.org. In this program, we hear poet Kwame Dawes. Kwame Dawes was born in Ghana in 1962. He spent most of his childhood in Jamaica, a place that figures prominently in his writing. He has written over a dozen books of poetry, as well as children's books, fiction, nonfiction, and books on reggae. Since 1992, Dawes has been teaching at the University of South Carolina, where he is a professor of English and distinguished poet in residence. He also directs the Calabash International Literary Festival, which takes place in Jamaica each year. In this talk, Dawes will read poems from four of his books, including Wisteria, which is based on interviews he conducted with elderly African-American women from South Carolina who grew up under the Jim Crow laws. This talk took place in January 2008, at the Art Institute of Chicago. Here is Kwame Dawes. Uh, good to be here. This is a nice space, man. Very nice. Yes, very lovely. Um, I'll read poems. That's what I'll do. Uh, from, from three collections um, and, and, and one poem from a fourth collection. And, um, and then hopefully we can, we can have some talk afterwards. I thought I'd start with a, with a, um, a piece from a, a fairly old collection. You know, all things are relative, really. This is maybe about six years old. Um, and it's called Bruce Totem. And there's a piece that I thought I'd begin with. Uh, it's a poem called Sight. And it's written for Rwanda. Every axe should have an eye to see the havoc that it wreaks. These days our tools are made in factories. Machettes, blind as stone, arrive stacked high on trucks. They do not see the soft eyes of a child. Every axe must have an eye to see the havoc that it wreaks. Every eye should have an eye to see the havoc that it wreaks. These days, our tools are made in factories. Machettes blind as stone arrive, stacked high in trucks. They do not see the soft eyes of a child. Every eye, every eye, every eye, every eye. I read a few poems from a quite recent collection called Goma Song. Goma Song is, is, is based on, loosely, on the, the story of, um, of Goma, who is the wife of, uh, of, of Hosea, the prophet, a, a minor prophet, um, but major uh, in, 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 in many circles because he did that whole, you know, the pouring out of the spirit thing, which is, which is quite cute, quite big these days. I don't know if you've noticed, but it is. Um, but I was fascinated by Hosea only because of Goma in this instant, because, I, because he, he, he was given a really uh, odd gig. He was told to marry a, 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 an adulterous woman um, so he could prophesy about it, um, which, you know, as reasons to get married go, that seemed a little uh, much. But... Um, 
but that's the gig he got. And so I, I wrote these poems in, 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 in a kind of contemporary version of, uh, of Goma. So I'll read a few poems from Goma's song. It's a poem called The Prophet's Wife, which kind of explains what is happening in the poem, in the collection. This is a quote from the, from the, from the Bible, in the NIV version. Go take to yourself an adulterous wife and children of unfaithfulness because the land is guilty of the vilest adultery in departing from the Lord. Hosea 1, 2. My sin is biblical. I am the wife of the prophet, though my man's holiness is merely a product of contrast. Still, remember the whore who the prophet found cleaned up and brought to his marriage tent, the one who after a few days left the stirrings in her belly and went out. Remember her? They called her a whore for want of words to speak to the insatiable hunger of her desire, the wantonness of her waywardness. But whores are less venal. Their sin is mammon and the calculation of economics of need. Me, I am like the prophet's wife, the one who kept a record of the shape of every penis she met, the one who wakes early and crawls into the street to give herself to the thirst of fools. I have nothing to show for this but the biblical proportion of my flaming. <clears throat> poem called Gardening. She's doing a lot of phone communication. Gardening. Tonight, I want a voice to crawl over me, to say ordinary things, to stop the quarreling of my children, to stop the racing in my head. I tell them to read the newspaper to me, the home and garden section slowly. I reach deep into me, feel the wet of mud in my fingers. His voice is far, a mess of gardenias, azaleas, compost, and worms all around me. I come smelling the brown scent of warm, broken soil. Um, In, in my narrative, the, 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 the story begins in Jamaica, and it, it, it begins before we meet the character in the Bible. So this is, this is something of her story in Jamaica. It's a poem called, Where Are the Angels? A girl sees a boy with long legs like tree trunks and a body wiry that moves like water when sweated, a body now turning with dark new growth in armpits and crutch, 
A voice broken into the deep brownness of manhood sees that body bent over a daft mongrel tongue hanging, eyes darting about a bitch, anxious for the seeding of her heat, bent over, pushing into this squatted dog, that voice like crushed pebbles, barking, the body humping before the long prayer to Jesus, the limp arms, the bewildered beast hopping away, sniffing the corners of the zinc fence. Looking back at this boy, wiping himself while searching about for witnesses. What darkness enters the eyes of a girl peeping through the slats in the old door of the toilet for bowel, her bowels opening up at the, at the sight, her heart hopping for the fear of being seen, for the sweet upheaval in her belly. Where are the angels in the Aki tree to ward off the shadow that grows in her. And this is a piece called Father. What to make of a man in his khaki suit he's been wearing for 40 years, taking a rum in a bar, who hears me coming without looking and is told, see your daughter here? by Millicent, the broken-down bartender. A man who laughs and turns with open arms, his dark, broken teeth glowing, his face a crumpled and oil-stained brown paper bag, who I adore despite every cruelty, who opens his arms like a dream he knows I have had all my life and says, come, daughter. Then when I come close, close enough, to smell the rum in his skin. He pulls his arms in, embraces himself, giggling. What you want, dotty girl, dark quick. <clears throat> I'll read one more poem from, from this collection. This is a poem called After Love. On the first day, the day I lay stretched out in the dull sunlight, my body betraying me with moistness, I confess my love to you in the language of a timid staff child. My father came to me with a machete, the room smelling sweet with rum, and the mugginess of his day-old sweat and the window shattered. We were all cowering, my mother's grain locks twisting like a fairy tale entanglement of vines through the room, something like roots, and he hacked at them until they bled, and I stood with a cornfield of shocked stumps, my voice hoarse and my heart growing a second skin. He came through the door again and again and asked me to touch his head, the heat being too much for him. It did not end calmly. The blood, the chunks of knotted hair, the heavy scent of weed, the way I felt myself dying quickly, my breath going, and I screamed, clutching at my womb, the light in the hall, slicing the darkness. He slept, and you were far away thinking about how I said I loved you, after telling you the story, or not. Um, the, uh, so then, I, and these poems, I find in my work that I'm 
living in multiple places and in, in poetry I find a way to ground myself in different landscapes because I've traveled and lived in different places. That's the story of my life. Um, I grew up in Ghana. I was born in Ghana, lived in England for a bit, lived in Jamaica, which is really for all intents and purposes home because it's kind of, you know, cooler. Um, <laughs> and, and then living in Canada for about six years, which is colder, and then, and then, and then living in, in South Carolina. And all of these places are places where the idea of finding roots and, and finding a way to connect with space, people, and landscape becomes important to me. Um, so the, the poems in Impossible Flying are as pers uh, at once personal poems um, about my relationship, sort of ostensibly about my relationship with my youngest brother, um, but, and yet poems about negotiating ideas of, of, of home and place. And there are some of the poems that I've more recently written about Jamaica. This is a piece called Impossible Flying. This is the title poem. There's a, there's a, there's a song that the politicians in Jamaica sing, the Jamaica Labor Party sing um, when things are going well. Um, and it's palms of victory, bells of freedom, palms of victory, deliverance is here. Uh, which is deeply ironic, really, but, <laughs> but, but you had to be there. Um, so this is 1980, 1980 in Jamaica. On Kingston's flat, worn earth, everything is hard as glass. The sun smashes into the city, no breath, no wind, just the engulfing asthmatic Monday. We move with the slow preservation of people saving their strength for a harsher time. 1980, this land has bled so many betrayals and the indiscriminate blooding of hope has left us quivering, pale, void, the collapsed possibilities causing us to limp. We are a country on the edge of the manic euphoria of a new decade. Reagan's nodding grin ripples across the basin's surface. We dare to dream that in the spin and tongues of Capo, perhaps we too will fly. This time, we'll lift ourselves from the slough of that dream maker's decade, the 1970s when we learned things only before, suspected our capacity for blood, our ability to walk through a shattered city, picking our routine way to work each morning. We are so used now to the ruins, perhaps more than that, perhaps to wearing our sackcloth and ash as signs of our hope, the vanity of survival. In that decade when a locksman could prance the streets with a silver magic trail in his wake, how we fought to be poor, to be sufferers, to say, looking at you, the better one. How we cultivated our burden-bearing water, white squall, hungry belly, burlap-wearing, cariba-suited, socialist dream. How reggae with its staple of faith, fame and fortune spoke its revelation from the speakers of souped up BMWs, gone now, all gone. We have thrown off that dead skin now, and the fleets of squat ladders are rotting, oh Havana. We've grown too cynical for such austerity, or perhaps we did not suffer enough. So on such blank and startled days, we dream of flight, how we hope, dance, dance, damn it, dance, dance, damn it, be happy. Our apocalypse echoes on the sound system and we dance, 
these laws, these new laws, these palm leaves, these clamoring bells so desperate for deliverance, this insipid green in the future, and we all stare at the unflinching sky and will our hearts to fly. And how you ran, sprinting down Carlisle Avenue, your face set against the bare wind. You were spreading your arms, undulating in complete faith in the wind's lift. The physics of the updraft past the low fences, the skittish yelping dogs, the streaks of telephone wires, the hibiscus hedges, a blur of green and pink and smudged off white, and me calling you, trying hard to bring you back. Me catching up behind you now, our heart, our panting, the slap of bare feet on the soft asphalt, and I reached for you, held you by the waist, drawing you down, and it felt in that instant not like a shattering of faith, but a struggle to keep you home, for each tendon of your body throbbed with the lightness of a body prepared for flight. And my betrayal, was to become the burden, the anchor you had for years long to shake off. Stillness, the gaping crowd staring at this sudden accident, two men in a heap of twisted limbs on the road, you saying, this time, this time, this time if you would have let me, I would have it would have happened, it would have happened. I too felt the vanity of our beaching. The bells shimmered, the dispatches were in. No one is flying, no more. Thank you. Thank you. I'll read another po poem from, from this collection. This is a poem called Ward. Um, yeah, I'll just read it. Uh, the, the, the um, uh, what do we call it? The psych psychiatric ward at the University of the West Indies is literally opposite the maternity ward and you have to walk between them. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so some people just, wonder where they really should be. But you walk between them to get from the campus itself to the, the, bus, the bus terminus. So that's just a little detail up in Papine. So this is a poem called Ward. The dirt track turns to mall in this wind tunnel between maternity. The pale yellow gowns of swollen women, a constant slash of light through the gray louvers. And the white washed ward where you are. My heart grows as I walk by casually, trying to pretend I have forgotten your eyes, pleading with me in the brightly lit greeting room, pointing to the stumble and glossolalia of the pretty girl who does not care that her breasts are poking out of the too small hospital issue green tunic. Around us, the sterile, slow pace of medicated souls. I like her. Like her, I imagine that you don't belong. I imagine you are too astute, too collected for this. Your pathologies are civil things, and yet I see the scars on your knuckles, and you drool, how you drool. 
your tongue, not yours, just a clumsy lump of meat in your mouth. You are telling me you need to go, lucid as anyone I know, until, until you laugh, reminding me of the morning I held you down, tied your wings, did not have the faith, and in that same clean logic, your eyes stared steadily at me as you spoke in a soft conspiracy. I would have been flying now, you know that. I would have been flying if you never hold me down. It has been a week since I stopped. That last time, the orderlies told me of the straps you strained against, the electricity, the padded walls, the shit in your pants, the tears, as if you were someone else, as if they needed me to understand the lunatic's dialect, as if they saw in me the hubris of class or the hope of sanity, as if I did not understand the commonness of tragedy. That day, I did not stop. I simply bowed my head and walked away weeping, angry at my tears, at the noble sorrow as if it was me caught in this wrestle with the chemistry of the head, the demon tyranny. I wept, <laughs> a good verb, like an actor, testing each mood. Swept, yes, by the passion of the narrative, but consumed by the tragic consequence of fear. I wept as I walked the stony paths to Papine, helpless like that. Tonight is the seventh night and I have walked past. It becomes easier now. I fear only that you will see me going by, not stopping. Maybe you will see my lips moving, praying for the miracle promised, another vanity, the scripted prophecy of my peace. <clears throat> um, I read a poem called Fat Man, which is a little different from another poem called Fat Man that I've written. And I've, I, things are becoming problematic today, these days, in the titling of my poems because I'm repeating titles and not realizing it until they're published, which is really sort of disturbing, I guess. Well, it is to me a bit because then if I'm reading, then I say, well, this is one poem called, well, so this is Fat Man, which is not the other Fat Man, but it's this Fat Man. Uh, so. So this is this fat man, uh, right. And maybe I will read the other fat man <laughs> later on. How terrible the confession, we are all dying. The way fat weighs us and the heart swells from too long laboring to make us breathe, slouch and snore with guttural dreadfulness, the terror of it. I do not want to die. So absurd, this submission, this effort to confront the unpredictable odds of our living. But fat people die sooner. We know this. And I, too, too solid with the mess of casualness, grow fat with age. So hard to come back. I stare at my stranger self in hotel mirrors. I'm afraid to meet this stomach-glorious creature, unable these days to find an angle of satisfying grace. I am now a circle of errors. The fat has taken over. Perhaps pride in this plump existentialism will make it well, but my child seems too, too small, hopelessly small in my clumsy arms. They, my children, will call me fat, and I will resent their kindnesses and compensations for my limp and waddle. 
I dream of sweat, the familiar hint of muscle beneath the inner flesh, the rib, a reminder of the body so vulnerable beneath this cloak of flesh. I dream of breathing easily when I bend to tie my shoelaces. I dream of better days when I will leap lightly, a slender man gambling in the mirror's face. I have a dream. <laughs> yeah, well, so much for that one. Um, good. And so now what I thought I would do is read some poems to, to wrap things up from um, Wisteria, uh, which is a collection of poems based on interviews that I did with African-American women in Sumter, South Carolina. And these poems, these, these interviews changed everything, many things in me as a writer and as a person. Uh, they told me their stories of growing up in Jim Crow, the Jim Crow South. Uh, these were not any particularly famous people. They were just ordinary women who lived day to day. And, um, and, and, and I, I found a tremendous dignity and beauty in, in their lives. So I'll read, I'll read about five poems, and then that'll be it for, for me. Okay? So um, one of the, the women who remains very exciting to me, and she's still living, these interviews were done in 1995, and it took several years before these poems came out. But it's, it's a woman called Rosalie Richardson, and um, a number of the poems are about Rosalie Richardson. This is, this is one of the poems for her called Courting, and it tells the story of how, how she became um, pregnant as a little country girl in South Carolina. This is about 1936. Courting. At 15 and bold dad, I was a married woman. My man came along like any casual day comes along, did a simple transaction, too trustworthy to call it love. And mama said, it's time, and you still got your looks. You got a body too, you got no future, but cooking for white folks. You meet a man, wants to make a family, let him have you. The right way, of course. At 15, never dreamed romance would come, and I was right. Never dreamed of dates, movies, fancy restaurants, and Lord, I was right. Didn't miss much, because you only miss what you dream too much. At 16, didn't know the rhythms of my body. Nobody told me what it was, that bad feeling that would take me early before light like grease from fat back sitting heavy on your chest. But I could tell it was something not to talk too much about, like the way my husband took me all those nights talking soft, touched soft, telling me to hush. So I said it was a headache when the doctor comes around. And the poor man so ashamed, that nice, bright, handsome boy, he gave me something for the headache and whispered the news to my man who told me when the doctor was gone and how I cried the day, not for the love of a child in me, not for the joy of the woman in me, but for the shame of my foolish self, country girl, real country.
I'll read a poem, <laughs> a poem called Gender. And this is also for Rosie. Rosie, well, the poem speaks for itself, I suspect. The first time I came, my heart faded quickly, and the plans of my father, sensing the lifting of his load, drifted away in a chill morning. They planted my body, my shriveled manhood curled like a worm. When I came again, castrated and thick-lashed, my father counted his losses and helped me grow the callous of my hands, building by his side the edifice of our modest existence. He did not see the coming of my bleeding man-child that I was to him. But the boys could smell the flaring of my womb, could sniff their thirst quencher as I dragged the plow through the fallow ground. They would stare at my cop breast as I ran, leaping the low hedges of peanut bushes, their laughter, hands feeling at crotches, tongues moistening the gleaming strands of fledgling mustaches made me turn and run. Now in the city, the wind played whimsy with my bare legs, the soft fabric on my skin. Here the boys move slower, casual eyes recording me, woman, not taboo, not enigma, simply woman, walking the city streets, and my smile was big as light. It's a poem called Tornado Child, and this is for good old Rosie, Rosie Richardson. When I went to interview her, I put the mic in front of her, I said, please say your name, just for, you know, you know, for, for, for identification's sake. And she leaned into the mic and she said, my name is Rosalie Richardson and I'm a tornado child. And I said, well, you know, what? And she says, I said, my name is Rosalie Richardson and I'm a tornado child. I was born in the middle of a tornado. So that was the poem right there. So I figured, <laughs> let me work with that. And her story bore up to that. But this is, this is for Rosie. This is, this is for all wild and crazy women. I am a tornado child. I come like a swirl of black and darken up your day. I whip it all up into my womb, lift you and your things, carry you to where you've never been, and maybe if I feel good, I might bring you back all warm and scared, heart humming wild like a bird after early sudden flight. See, I'm a tornado child. I tremble at the elements when thunder rolls, my mother womb trembles, remembering the tweak of contractions that tightened to a wail when my mother pushed me out into the black of a tornado night. I'm a tornado child. You can tell us from far by the crazy of our hair. Couldn't tame it if we tried. Even now I tie a bandana to silence the din of anarchy in these chaotic plats. See, I'm a tornado child, born in the whirl of clouds. The center crumbled when I came. My lovers know the blast of my chaotic given. They tremble at the whip of my supple thighs. Tornado child, you cross me at your peril. I cling to light when the warm of anger lashes me into a spin. The pine trees bend to me, swept in my gyrations. I'm a tornado child. 
And when the spirit takes my head, I hurtle into the vacuum of white sheets billowing and paint a swirl of color streaked with my many songs. See, I'm a tornado child. That's old Rosie. Yeah. Thank you. Two more poems. poem called Stillborn, and in many of the interviews, the women would always tell me the stories of their siblings, and they always remembered the names of the children who had died, even those who had died in childbirth. They always counted them. And it was clear from each of the stories that I was told that these stillbirths were happening constantly because of poor medical services and um, it's just difficult so these poem this poem is 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 stillborn take my baby home take my baby home I ain't free and never will be. Take my baby home. Oh, glory. Oh, glory. in paradise to have a home I still count them feeling them like ghost limbs they have their place in my collection of years remembering them is a way to remember to count the pressure pills the heart pills the blood pills the tyranny of pills I count those who died before they woke, those I cradled, caressed, cocooned to life, hoping beyond the weakness of their cries. They died too, leaving us with tough questions for God Almighty. Old black folk have buried so many babies in the bush behind the cotton groves with a naked form of cotton pails standing like sentinel crucifixes against the stale blue of summer skies. Oh, glory. Oh, glory, there is room enough in paradise to have a home. And mother gathers her body and the tears and builds new fires, cooks new meals, readies her womb to replenish its rooted self to make more brothers, sisters like second nature. She carries her moaning deep in her skin, a way to count the days. My mother bore nine children. We chant this as a litany of her strength. Three did not live to see the second year. And she did not live to see the first year of her wash belly, wash soul, wash body. The thin film of her drying birth water scraped off with a rough cloth as they laid her out to rest. 
Sometimes I feel like a motherless child a long way from home. <clears throat> One day I will come to the river. One day I will come to the river. Oh, this skin is leather black with time. This skin is tough like old rooster flesh. This skin won't give like poulet. You bite this skin, you're likely to eat crow. This skin has wailed its own symphony of blue-black sorrow, tough like this. This skin tasted the salt crystals, licked them up and recorded the pain. This skin been turned inside out, left to dry. This skin swallowed the blast of sun, collected the bite of January air, and still there, still there, this skin has smelled the acrid smoke of burning flesh hanging there against a new day, sniffed it, felt its layering of old skin, soot carrying centuries of suffering. This skin is washed with flow of menstrual blood, love juice, old semen, bitter spit, loose shit, every ugliness dumped into this earth, been through this skin. This is no tenderloin, prime cut skin. You bite me, you're likely to eat crow. This skin is a walking museum. When you see me coming, read me. When you see me coming, read me. One day, I will come to the river. Oh, love will touch this skin and I will rise ebony glow and tender crossing that river to the other side. Thank you very much. That was Kwame Dawes speaking at the Art Institute of Chicago on January 10th, 2008. The program was part of American Perspectives presented by the Art Institute and the Poetry Foundation. The poems read by Kwame Dawes come from his books Bruised Totem, Gomer's Song, Impossible Flying, and Wisteria. His most recent collection, Hope's Hospice, was published in 2009. Bob Marley, Lyrical Genius, which Dawes wrote in 2002, is considered the authoritative study of the lyrics of Bob Marley. You can read more about Kwame Dawes and some of his poems at poetryfoundation.org. The site also features the Harriet blog about poetry, to which Kwame Dawes contributes. Also at the Poetry Foundation website, you'll find articles by and about poets, an online archive of more than 10,000 poems, the Poetry Learning Lab, the complete back issues of Poetry Magazine, and other audio programs to download. I'm Ed Herman. Thanks for listening to Poetry Lectures from PoetryFoundation.org.